Welcome to the Masterminds Podcast, a podcast about flips, flops, plans, outcomes, and learnings in the mythical field of mobility as a service. Our guests are typically pioneers, entrepreneurs, and innovators of the mass concept, with whom we discuss successes, failures, key lessons, and future prospects for mass developments. My name is Stephen Saracini, and I'm a researcher at RICE, the Research Institutes of Sweden. I'm joined today by my co-host, Hans Arby, who is formerly an entrepreneur and founder of the Swedish Moss startup Ubigo, and currently a colleague of mine at Rice. Hello. In this third episode of Masterminds, we'll get up close and personal with our guest, another person that has been trapped in the Mars world as long as Hans. The founder and CEO of FluidTime, one of the first platform providers ever, Michael Kieslinger. Welcome, Michael. Hello, both of you. Now, Hans and Michael, I understand that you have a bit of history together. Well, that you can definitely say. I'm, I'm not sure exactly the first time we actually met, but we started work on Moss before it was called Moss and independently almost at the same time. So we ran the UBGO pilot in Gothenburg to th- 2013 to 2014. And you, Michael, led the Smile pilot in Vienna which had a plan, book, and pay service, and we had our exactly. subscription-based. So what, what we now would call Moss Level 2, Moss Level 3. And then at a crucial moment, I think it must have been in the beginning of 2016, I went down to Vienna in the middle of the winter holiday, left my family, and met you and the VP of CAPS to discuss both investments and cooperation around the platform. I didn't get any money, but I get a promise from you that Fluid Time would develop a platform that would suit us. Uh, and then, of course, there was a lot of interactions. Uh, I mean, when, when my wish list met your stubborn project manager, there was a lot of interactions. <laughs> but we actually launched based on your platform in spring 2019 in Stockholm. So, uh, so uh, but, but then, of course, I mean, so we met after a couple of years when you ran the pilot. So could, could you please tell us how, how you ended up there, start working with, with the Moss? Um, as with you, uh, the history went uh, or is started beyond uh, when people started to create the name Mars and, and work on Mars projects. So I was thinking when we first had the idea to do something around the, the notion of integrating different transport modes into one single app or in one single service. And even before the Smile project that you just mentioned, we did a project called Numo. Uh, that started 2011 or 2012, and that we had the idea how could we combine things together, and uh, we had very simple technology at that point. It was basically an app showing some information and then triggering SMS payment messages. But with this simple technology, we were able to pay for tickets uh, and so on. So this would, I say, was sort of a starting point on this journey. But I mean, what, what was your ambitions? I mean, you you must have some kind of driving force. What what did you foresee? Why why, why did you want to put so much effort into it? Um, we have been in the space of digitalization of mobility even before. So starting like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I even did my master's thesis even before that time, and it was always about how you could make transportation more accessible. 
And in the beginning, of course, we had, you know, we have seen this tremendous change in terms of smartphones and so on. Then we were focusing on how to bring information on the, into the phone. And at one point, I remember we had a meeting with an NGO and the one woman there said, oh, it would be so fantastic if you could have certain transport options in one place and, and book them. Is this even possible? And we, of course, not knowing if it's possible at all, just say like, oh, yes, that's of course possible. It would be fantastic. So this was sort of, a, I would say, a, a special moment when this idea of doing, integrating things and having a great experience kind of started. And from there on, it was sort of a... I don't know if it's a, a guiding principle or a North Star, whatever you call it, trying to achieve uh, this type of goal or vision. So it was kind of challenge-driven? It definitely was challenge-driven and and the idea that, you know, it would be fantastic, it would be a fantastic world if this would be so easy as we speak about it. So I wonder, could you tell us a bit about your, your own personal background as well? Um, We know he's an entrepreneur, but uh, my guess is that you're perhaps an engineer as well. Uh, no, not really. Um, my background is in interaction design. Even before that, my discipline was computer music. So I have a completely different background than many others. And, uh, you know, when you think about music, it's all about the interaction with technology, even if it's a piece of wood, but it's somehow uh, interaction with some sort of uh, design object. And uh, interaction design is something what I studied and learned about how you create technology or how you design technology in a way that it really appeals to the users. It's easy to use and it inspires people to do things. Um, and from this profession on, I tried to apply to different areas of everyday life. And somehow I got stuck with mobility. I don't know why. It just happened. And now I try to use this profession to make uh, mobility technology or apps as fantastic as possible. Can you tell us a bit about how uh, your current work in mobility links to uh, or what you learned from or you took with you from computer and music, was it? Yeah. Is, is there, some, is there it, some link there? I'm guessing that there is. Of course you can. Uh, there's some links. Um, One could be, and it's I'm just really kind of inventing it on the fly, one could be it's all about movement, time and space. So music doesn't exist if you don't have time and transportation also doesn't exist if you don't have time because it's always about moving across certain distances and music does this as well. So I could see some connection at that point. Mm. Very interesting. That's the so, most philosophical thing anyone said yeah. on the podcast so far. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> so let's get back to the storyline. Yeah. <laughs> so, so <laughs> after after the smile, uh, smile project, uh, what what happened then? So basically, we had step by step, we had this idea of integrating transport into one single piece of service, and so step by step, we, we worked forward and. In each project, we could achieve certain um, milestones and could see get a glimpse of the future. And uh, after the Smile project, so it was around 2016, um, we were in the fortunate situation that we had some investments that we could spend on building a piece of technology that we think is the perfect piece of technology. And we started to use the experience of the past projects to build what we call now the Fluid Hub product. And it was basically the idea to have a platform, a white label platform product that uh, facilitates different types of uh, 
business models or organizations to um, build up a mass system and operate a mass system. And this was pretty much the point where we met and we clearly could see or I could clearly see that, you know, you were a visionary, you had tested successfully a mass scheme in, in Gothenburg, I think it was. And I thought like, you know, if we are able to serve with our technology, your needs, then we have done something right. And that's how we got really interested in working with you together. So, and, and that's kind of interesting because I think that both of you, both you and me had had the belief, belief or at least hope that the mobility market would be a little bit like the telecom or mobile market where, where you have operators that focusing on the business and delivering a great service but procuring the IT platform from from uh, somebody else and kind of focusing on the business instead instead of building everything themselves. But if you look right now, it seems to actually be more platform providers than than, than real more, more services. Were, were we wrong or, or was the world wrong? I think it's about, um, you know, if a new technology starts and new services come to play, uh, even the ones who provide a platform technology are in the beginning. So the the time you need to kind of catch up by building your own is in the beginning not that high. So maybe it takes, takes you six months or maybe one year. That's something you can achieve. And that's why I think many people in the beginning said, oh, now I start to do everything myself because I can manage it anyway. And the, the technology back then was not as mature as it is today. So clearly so many years later, um, you wouldn't be able to achieve these type of platform technologies within a couple of months. Uh, if you think about us or other players, you know, you're, you're talking about years to build up such a technology. So I think in, in some of the discussions we have here in, in Sweden with, with our uh, Mars expert colleagues, um, there's been this idea that uh, Mars is much more than an app. Um, and there's been a bit of a critique to the, towards those that have developed apps thinking that that solves the whole puzzle um and and the, the background to the critique is that you know you need to think about users and 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 customers and and, and travel patterns and and so on um i wonder if you could tell us a bit about the platform and and its relevance in the whole scheme of mass things you know i think it's always good to have something that you can point at and i think an app would be something that you can show you can you can make a nice picture of it and it's something that kind of helps you to tell the story and i think that's i think what it is about and clearly um, we have learned um, maybe also the hard way that you know it's not only about the app or it's not only about the technology it's basically about you know whatever you call it the ecosystem the organizations around it, about the users, of course, about the business model. So there's so many aspects that have to be has been have to be solved, uh, solved. Sorry, that have to be solved. Um, in terms of t what we have done from the beginning on, is to say, okay, we need to have uh, customers who know what they want to do and want to achieve, and we start to build for them, and then kind of create a t technology and a product that is applicable also for other customers and other schemes. And, you know, if you think about what is Mars, it's about integrating everything from information to the booking side, to the commercial side, to the marketing side. And basically, in terms of technology, this is what we have built up. So we have, I would say, a modular structure with a lot of functionality that can be customized to the needs um, 
of an organization who wants to be a mass operator because clearly different organizations have different needs, have a different spectrum of um, uh, mobility they apply, have a different area where they apply it, if it's urban or if it's on the countryside. So what we have done is make it basically having a one-stop shop for someone who wants to roll it and uh, such a platform. Yeah, so, so I mean, I know then that you sold the company to Capsh. Uh, that's why we met at Capsh uh, many years ago. Uh, and then you bought it back a couple of years uh, ago. So so talking about customers and so on, wh- where are you and your company right now in terms of customer markets and, and so on? You know, when you think about how you could apply Mars, you have on one side, you have, I would say, green field approaches like Ubigo was or also Wim uh, in, in Helsinki, which is basically a new service from the ground up. Then you see... Um, successful projects which are come kind of uh, an extension to an existing mobility service. So think about a public transport operator who wants to extend the public transport network with first last mile services, integrating them together into a mass scheme. For me, I saw a fantastic, or for me it was really important to see a couple of years back someone from the tourism area coming to a meeting and saying, you know, we have a real problem to be solved. We can't afford any more customers or tourisms, tourists to come to our area uh, by car because they're clogging all the streets and we have to solve this problem. So at that point, I thought like, okay, we don't have to invent users and needs. We actually have to just go out there and see where are people having a real problem with existing mobility models and offer them a solution. And... By doing that, we also found that when you think about companies, um, they have also a huge transportation need and in certain cases also transportation problem. If it's about finding new workforce, going to their offices, going to the factories, it's about the CO2 footprint. So they are really searching for new ways, getting rid of company cars and finding new ways how people can move for business or for work going to work. And we see that if you start to apply mass to real-world problems that are really very, very prominent, it immediately can have an effect. And that's what we as Fluid Time are doing at the moment is trying to have very specific um, aspects of services that help uh, companies, for example, to to manage their mobility. But that also means a little bit a different role that you're not just a, a, a platform provider. You, you do you. It's more like a mass as a service in a way. Um, yes, exactly. So you know, like the all the years back, we have always watched our customers how they perform and how they operate the platform. And even if you're just uh, in the role of providing technology, you also see how are they doing it, how are they making contracts, how do it, does it work with customers and so on. And with all this knowledge in, in place um, and also with customers demanding not only technology from us, but also demanding basically a piece of service that they can just turn on, we decided that we have to go also one step further and not only just offer a technology, but actually offer Mars as a service to, for example, organizations that can use it. Because when you think about our traditional customers in Mars, it applies, it or it requires a team of experts on the customer side to set up and run such a platform. 
So just but the company is not able. Sorry, the company is not able to do that. They just want to operate it and and use it. And that's why we say we have to do more in such an ecosystem and not only provide the technology. So to follow up on this, um, I think uh, this is at least true for some mass providers um, that perhaps don't exist anymore uh, since the pandemic, um, mm -hmm. uh, and then some that have survived. So I think there was. Uh, during the pandemic, it was a tough time for mobility in general, and and even today, you know, consumption levels when it comes to mobility haven't really uh, bounced back to what they were pre-pandemic. Um, and yeah, so a, a few mass uh, providers have have either gone bankrupt or closed down the uh, shut down that aspect of their operations, and others have have sort of pivoted more towards B two B. So they they're targeting employers or perhaps housing associations and and things like that. Um, and I wonder if, if how, I wonder first if you agree with that, that sort of uh, narrative, that that's sort of what's happened in the, in the market. Um, and, and if so, how does it reflect on, on your business? Like you, you've sort of touched on it a bit there, but how, how has it meant a pivot for you? Um, definitely, uh, the COVID crisis was a huge, had a huge impact on the mobility scene. And many organizations that had built a business model on transportation transactions uh, basically had from, I don't know, 100% revenue down to nearly zero. And that was, of course, dramatic. For us, it was quite the opposite. It was quite strange because in May of 2020, we closed a contract with an organization for a new mass pilot. So it was basically uh, everyone was just stopping and doing nothing. But we had a, a customer that just started at that point, say like, okay, we have a plan to do something and our plan lasts longer than the next two years. It's a long-term plan and we want to start now. And it was quite, for us, a, a successful situation because uh, in that respect, we had no impact whatsoever uh, in, regarding the COVID crisis. So but building on that one, uh, because I mean, I run my more service and you kind of focus on what you're doing yourself, even though you know what's going on on the market. But you as a platform provider, you, of course, have seen many more mass actors and projects. Uh, so it also means that you have seen more failures and perhaps some success in, during this day. So what do you think that we or what have you learned from, from that decade of, of mass developments? I hope I have learned something. I don't know. Um, I think, you know, when we started back then, uh, we had sort of the sort of the dream and the concepts were quite pure in term, terms of sort of focusing on the essence of what mobility as a service is. But exactly this type of essence, meaning integrating partners into one single service with, a, let's say, abstracted payment scheme, I would say it's the most difficult part of mass. Everything else is, let's say, doable and so on. And what we have learned is if you want to be successful in mass, you can't just focus your business model on that one particular aspect, but you have to make sure that uh, you have accompanying services uh, that sort of balance this aspect of having partnerships where you can earn uh, your money. What would characterize uh, the successful projects or, or real deployments and, and, and the failures? If, if you look at 
this, I mean, there's different aspects, right? If you think about public transport operators, they had, uh, after realizing maybe it's not sort of the next big thing in terms of um, a business model that just goes uh, through the through the clouds and through the sky, they have realized, okay, it's basically something that they have to provide as part of a mobility infrastructure. So they have a different set of success criterias than if you compare it to a private organization that really wants to make business out of, of Mars. Because there, of course, you have different criteria that you have to, uh, to fulfill. And again, if you think about businesses that have to provide technology, not that they have to provide transportation to employees or customers, again, they have a different set of success criteria. And I think it's really about finding your space where you want to work in. That's maybe one aspect. Another one is if you think about customer uptake and acceptance, it always or is strongly connected to financing parts. If you look at countries where the government provides tax incentivation for giving up your car, having maybe some sort of mobility budget that you can uh, have that you can spend with uh, with very tax um, positive ways. Uh, you can see a much more dynamic in terms of Mars than in other countries like Austria, where we only have limited tax incentives. So depending on who you are, you have different success criteria, and then you have maybe some external factors like taxation that can have a real big impact on how Mars is uptaken and how Mars is accepted by the consumers. I just wonder if I could follow up on that, Michael. Were you referring to Belgium, perhaps, when you were talking about those types of tax incentives and um, I wonder do you mean incentives or do you mean just balancing out the taxation if you balance the tax rules so that uh, mobility to service is you know say uh, privy to the same amount of benefit as a company car exactly so you have countries like Belgium France to a certain extent the Netherlands uh, at least these are countries I know of that um, provide incentivation meaning you as an employee you can pay on, on the cross amount that you earn. With the cross money that you earn, you can pay for transportation. And that means in the end, the instead of paying it with your net amount that you have basically in the end of paying all your income taxes. And this, in the end, reduces the cost of transportation. So let's say instead of spending 100 euros per month on transportation options, you're spending only depending on the taxation, 60, 50 euros. And this is a huge, has a huge impact and a huge difference. And we see this with like job tickets, with job bike schemes, with sharing schemes that are tax free to a certain extent. And I think exactly this type of model uh, have a huge impact, of course, because Mars is an element that provides the services to them and how they can spend their money. But, but that is also interesting as, as our sort of colleagues in, in this field, Skipper, which is a Belgian Moss company, they mm -hmm. call themselves now fintech company rather than mobility company because they actually handling all this administration and salary and, and budgets, mobility budgets and so on for companies. So, so they don't view themselves as a Moss company anymore. Yeah, interesting. And we, see, we have seen also examples in the US which became this type of company or some of these companies became more like an extension of HR departments rather mm -hmm. than an extension of a mobility department. And if you think about sort of the big topics you have, 
the financial part, and I can understand that they can call them uh, sort of fintech companies if a financial aspect. Mm. You have all the aspect about sustainability that is, of course, a huge part next to the to mobility schemes that you want to solve or improve. So I think they all kind of blend into each other. And depending, of course, where you are positioned in the market, it has more or less uh, impact on your business. So you can say you need to be pragmatic to survive in the in the in the moss moss world. So and another thing that when as I said we we ran our pilots at the same time independently in, in Gothenburg and you in Vienna. Uh, both of these kind of projects and, and promising pilots were um, so to say halted. And see if I could uh, say it in a politically correct way, but it was due to public transport partners not being really clear about their role and ambition. So and and since then it's always been the debate over should it be the public transport actors or commercial third party operators that should run Mars. What what's what's your view on that and who will win? I think exactly this notion of who will win or also the notion in the beginning who is going to make most of the money <laughs> uh, created a notion of competition and. It's difficult to have a strong competition and on the other side ask for a strong collaboration. And I think that made it really difficult in the first years to get forward because everyone said, like, if I give too much, if I start to collaborate too much, the other one could be the winner. So, and we understood that in the end, it doesn't really matter. I think if there are three players in the country or in the city who prov provide a mass service, it's fine. And what we see, there's a differentiation of the services, as you or we just discussed before, in terms of maybe they want to focus more on, let's say, tourism aspects or more on the cost national transportation. Each has a certain segment of, of customers. And you see also we need to have differentiation. So these products starting to differentiate from each other. And then it's I think it's fine to have these players next to each other. And if you think about the size of the car market, you know, and if some of it goes into a mass market, we're still happy to have to share this market together. Hmm. So um, I wonder if I could ask you to be a little bit critical, uh, Michael. Uh, uh, yeah, so I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Hans and I and uh, Jonas Oshore mainly uh, wrote a paper a number of years ago called the Mars Topology. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with these mm -hmm. different levels sure. of Mars. Yeah. Um, and uh, at level two, you have um, some kind of p uh, platform for booking and payments. Um, so it's a little bit similar to a, a technical platform but it's, it's maybe a customer-facing platform, uh, an end-user-facing platform, if you put it that way. So I wonder if, if you could um, focus a little bit on the approach taken uh, by Jelby uh, in, in Berlin and, and say what you think may be the benefits and drawbacks of that type of approach. You have a, a public organization running a quite, wide, uh, a quite broad um, mass platform in terms of the different types of suppliers that are on it. Um, I think it's, for me, it's like, you know, in Austria, we have, um, at least from, let's say from a consumer point or a traveler point of view, the situation that it's, you know, the public transport operators have quite some money to invest in new technology. So in this case, uh, and maybe also in Berlin, is that the case? And it brings out new services like Jelby. And I think I can't be really critical about this. It's just, you know, it's one service uh, that they want to offer. 
And it's it's fine, I would say. I wouldn't criticize it. Criticize the Berlin Transportation Organization for doing that. It's uh, it's something they have to do, and also to find their grounds. And in terms of like level of integration, I think when we think when I. You know, when we look back in 2016 again, we basically started on the other end of the spectrum of integrations and of the mass typology, like from subscription and so on, which is quite advanced, not only in terms of technology, but also in terms of what you ask from the consumers. So I think also maybe a lesson learned is, you know, if you start to kind of with like low key solutions, which is typology level one, two, could be actually a good starting point to learn and then grow to level three and so on. Yeah, you don't have to start with level four or five. You can start with level two. It's fine. Yeah, it's good. And having projects like Jelby in Berlin is is good because it's not only about what happens in Berlin. It's all other cities are looking at it and seeing, oh, it's possible to do that. And they are interested and they see it's, uh, you know, collaboration can take place. And in that case, I would say they have their respect and their place in that sort of bigger ecosystem, so to speak. Have we had too uh, high expectation on how fast and big Moss would be? Absolutely. I think, you know, that sometimes your dreams are, become so clear. And I think it's if it, the story why it would be great or why it is great is very simple it would be fantastic to have everything integrated i mean that's that's it um but i think to you have to always also understand the reality and the reality of how fast can you create the business deals how fast can you set up the technology and how fast your users understand these new types of services and i think here we definitely have Try to overachieve in the beginning and have maybe would have it would have been better if you would have taken some slower steps and and grow uh, together basically with the understandings of of the consumers. So, but then it could be interesting because Sweden, Finland, and and some other countries can be in, in the forefront of of of, of Mars. What would you say about the the Mars in Vienna and Austria right now? What's what's the status? That's a good question. Um, we have seen from when we take go back to 2016, uh, there have been two important stakeholders in the Austrian landscape that f- started to create their own mass initiatives. One was the uh, Wiener Linien, and the other one was the National Railway, uh, both with different uh, ways of approach. When we look at now, a couple of years later, we see two Mars apps, one in Vienna, one in Austria, basically, so to speak. They're both on level two, I would say, or level three to a certain extent. Um, I would say some are more advanced, which is the National Railway. Others, or like the Wiener Linien one, is not as advanced. But it's, I would say, a very solid multimodal app with Mars functionality, and it fulfills a certain um functionality so it's that's fine of course you know like we as visionaries and innovators we would say okay you could do so much more but i think it also needs room for the organization to grow with this type of visions mm. so michael i wonder if we uh, if we zoom out a little bit um I, i i can tell a little story um 
during last autumn, around uh, around about a year ago, I, I visited two conferences, two mass conferences in quick succession. One was a more of an industry conference, and the second was a more of an academic conference. And um, at both of these conferences, um, there was, uh, I'll put it like this, a prominent figure in the European mass field, I won't name and shame him, um, who held a keynote, uh, and he started off by saying, Mars is not dead. Uh, and he said this with great conviction, Mars is not dead. And it made me very skeptical, because when someone is really trying to convince you that something is not dead, it make, makes me think, oh, this is dead. Um, but I wonder if, if you could say something about the, the sort of general health of Mars right now. Um, uh, Hans and I have talked a little bit previously in terms of the hype curve, that maybe there was this initial hype. We alluded to it in this previous question that, you know, maybe there was an initial hype and a, the expectations were perhaps too, by, too high. Um, but are we, are we now in a, a period of decline or have we reached rock bottom or are we on the way back up again? How do you see things? I definitely have looked at the hype cycle recently and Mars is on the way up from the, I don't know what's again, the name, the exact name for the deepest, deepest valley you can reach. Trough of disillusionment, and, I think. Oh, yeah, thank you. Exactly. So I think we are on the way up again and we could see, you know, from the hype and there was no conference and no meeting where Mars was not basically the centerpiece um, to... Nowadays, everyone thinks like, why are you still talking about Mars? So that's, but it's also a good thing. I think now nobody really thinks it has to be, I don't know, whatever it has to be. So people are becoming more pragmatic about it. And I think that's a good one. And we also note, notice, we also notice that uh, projects are kind of approaching again and, and waking up again. And I would see exactly that as a sign that after the big hype and the big sort of fall of Mars, we are starting to kind of create a very pragmatic approach towards Mars. Yeah, so getting back to the pragmatic, and, and I guess that's the same when you talk about self-driving cars and so on. It didn't it didn't happen. Well, it's happening now mm -hmm. on certain aspects and maybe on, on certain applications and so on. So so mm -hmm. that's that's maybe where you see that it would it won't be the maybe the mass, the big mass, one one service to unite them all in all the cities, but you will see the the concept being used more targeting for different uh, business cases than maybe. But but I also see, I mean, do you see any enablers that will make it a little bit better? As, as we know, there's a lot of things going on on the EU level with with the new directives and new MMTAS and MDMS and so on. Do you, do you think that will help? Will it happen? How will it be implemented? Would it make your uh, and your customers' life easier, you think? Um, to a certain extent, it will make it easier. I think it's, you know, when you look at it, it of course, these type of processes are really slow and they take time to find a common ground and to find common definitions. And if you think about this approach and the notion of standardization is all good and is a good reason but it's something which is not taking place in a speed as maybe some uh, in the in this business want to ha have it so i think it's good because it helps us to talk about things in a more structured way um, but also we see if you think about standards and we have to do a lot in, in terms of standards because when we do integrations uh, our customer says look this and this transport operator they're already applying this and or that standards so it should be really straightforward 
yes, it is, makes it a bit easier because we know what language they speak, so to say. But uh, each of these standards has always a room to be uh, very unique and, and mm. create sort of very special formulas. And that, of course, still makes it hard to do a big level of integrations uh, still. And you still need the business agreements, the business model and so on, of course, uh, even though the technology gets easier. Exactly. I wonder if we could uh, continue on this uh, sort of forward-looking perspective. So um, we mentioned a little bit the benefits or opportunities linked to, say, the B2B segment before. Uh, what do you think about different geographical areas? Um, so is uh, a lot of the pilots and initiatives within Mars so far have been concentrated on urban areas, but there have been some that have been more, say, based in rural areas, like tourist-based Mars or... Uh, or other things. Um, what do you see as uh, the geographical opportunities in the future? Could there be perhaps a move to say peri-urban areas where there's a lot of car, um, a lot of reliance on car ownership? I think Mars is as necessary in cities as is on the countryside. Um, it's just the way how you apply Mars is different. And you know, if you look at um, related areas like um, micromobility. Of course, they have been uh, really uh, booming in closed city circles because here you have a lot of dense population and a high uptake. And of course, for Mars, the idea was this was also the perfect place to, to grow and because you also have a lot of offerings. But in terms of need, in terms of need to create different aspects of mobility besides a personal car, I think the rural aspects are at least as important, uh, even not more important than in the in the city centers. Yeah, because uh, how do you get from A to B without taking a private car? So it's not only about, of course, integration. It's also about offering new modes of transportation. But I would say Mars is needed everywhere. Yeah, it's just the way how it's applied is is a bit different. And of course, if you have a uh, a densely populated a sparely populated area, you don't, you will not make a big business case on, on providing transactions. But the business case will, of course, look differently because you provide a basic means of transportation or mobility. Yeah, so I would say the mass is definitely something I would not separate, but separate in terms of how it is operated. But in terms of need, I would see it in in cities as much as in countrysides. And maybe a little bit different roles from, from the public and commercial, so to say, that the, the, the public side needs to take more responsibility in, in rural exactly. areas maybe to get services. Because there's no business case. No, but it is a business case because you, you need to offer accessibility and can you do it in a more effective, attractive and, so to say, cheaper way, then it's a, then it's a, a lower cost. So it, it is a business case maybe mm -hmm. for them. Uh, if you were able to do it all over again your your travel with Mars so far what would you do differently i think what we talked just before about how high you're setting your goals and how much you want to achieve in a short amount of time i would have more respect in terms of what you can achieve and uh, what you can do in a certain amount of time. I think that I would do differently. So I would set my goals, let's say, more realistic uh, from today's perspective. 
Um, I think that would be the one really big aspect. I wouldn't do something different in terms of the vision because I think the vision is still highly valid and it's still fantastic to dream about a world that has an integrated mobility scheme. So I think that's fine. It's just the way how I would approach it is more uh, a bit more relaxed than as it was at that time. Uh, as you know, we invite quite a lot of um, entrepreneurs onto this podcast and a classic question we like to ask them is whether they got rich or not through Mars. So did Mars so far fulfill that aspect of your expectations? I didn't have a plan to become rich with Mars. Um, I had a plan to have a successful business with Mars and with the technology we provide. So. We have been able to earn our money with it and we are in a successful situation that as technology provider, we didn't really account for all the other things that you need to achieve. Yeah, getting customers on board, making contracts. So this was really the advantage we had in that market. And of course, you know, if you think about rich, we have been became really rich in terms of experience we made about what works, what doesn't work. And I would say the final story of Mars is not told yet. So we still have room to go and we see it growing and we are part of it. So that's really also where we see uh, still a lot of business possibilities. Does that also mean that you will continue in this field or do something differently? Because I think you you... There are a few people that might in, in a couple of years get this gold watch for, for, for a long and loyal service in the boss field. <laughs> so, but, but maybe maybe you have had enough. I don't know. Where, where will you yourself be in, in five or ten years from now? I recently saw someone asked me this question recently and I told him I'm in an age where, you know, I don't think I will change much on that path that I'm following. I'm quite happy actually in this position. Our company is doing really well in that uh, sphere. I'm in a situation, in a lucky situation that I can focus on things I really like to do in terms of creating products, uh, speaking about our products and not so much being involved in day-to-day -day operations. And that's, but these are all reasons why I see myself even in 10 years being involved in this area. Clearly, we are evolving. That means the way how we focus on the market, the customers we are looking at might change. And that, of course, is the attractive part. And uh, so there's always things that are new. So maybe that's something like which is the going the hamster rat, keeping it going. But for us, it's enough to, to say like, or for me, at least, it's enough to say it's fantastic to be on this track and I don't change that one for at least the next 10 years. So a final question, uh, Michael, is um, to try and wrap things up for our listeners. Uh, how you summarize the conversation we just had in uh, three points? First of all, it was a great conversation and it was good to talk about how our paths crossed and how Mars evolved and where it stands today and how it could evolve. So that's uh, give me also space to think about things on a new way, in a new way. If I wrap it if I wrap it up, I would say it's about Mars is not dead. <laughs> no, basically it's Mars, even if Mars is not as hyped as we have experienced it in the past, Mars is, I would say, not everywhere, but has 
grown into a quite wide spectrum of applications. So that's number one. Um, it's still about the customer and it's still about the needs that they have to be addressed. And thirdly, it's and thirdly, it's about um, finding the right way in, inside Mars. So it's not there's not one single Mars scheme and that's it. Mars has so many phases uh, and so many areas of application and that's good so because it becomes part of everyday life and not just an abstract idea. Um, okay, thank you so much, Michael, for sharing your insights and for give us, giving us the inside story of your Mars journey. Uh, this last hour sure. went very fast. It felt like a very fluid time. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> we can cut that bit. Had to be said, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you to my co-host, Hans. And uh, thank you to the listeners of this uh, podcast, um, the third of the Masterminds podcast. Uh, we'll be back very soon with a new episode, together with another pioneer of the Mars concept. Um, please stay tuned. Stay tuned.